Hey, it's Melvin, one of your friendly neighborhood podcast hosts. Whether it's your first time tuning in or you're a longtime listener, consider leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever. Reviews are the lifeblood of the podcast world, so if you want to help us out, it'll take only a moment of your time. Otherwise, we hope you enjoy the show. Hi, my name is Melvin, and you know hot dogs get a bad rap? Welcome to Cinematic Doctrine, a non-spoiler Christian movie podcast where we sit at the table of cinema and eat. Tonight we'll be dining on Tom McLaughlin's Friday the 13th, Part 6, Jason Lives. There was this strange two-week period where I decided to binge the Friday the 13th movies, like parts 1 through 8, and it was as miserable as it was magnetic. I can't explain what was going on in my head at the time, all I know is we were watching the movies and playing a lot of the video game. I had picked up a used DVD collection of the franchise in an FYE and decided to bite the bullet. I've already watched a ton of Nightmare on Elm Street, I sort of enjoyed a few of the Hellraiser movies, watch far too many Saw films for my own good, and I've always enjoyed horror movies. So finally, getting into one of the most popular franchises in horror seemed natural. Let me tell you, it was terrible. Just the worst. The first Friday the 13th film isn't even good to begin with. And while there were many improvements with the second film, which I'll admit I marginally enjoyed, 3 was significantly dumber, and the fourth film, which a lot of people seem to enjoy, turned out to be the bottom of the barrel. Like a gross penance or self-flagellation, Friday the 13th Part 4, The Final Chapter, which isn't even the final chapter, is the sort of thing you willingly watch because you hate yourself. The kind of movie that paints your exploitative fantasies in such a grisly, disgusting fashion that the only proper response is to run and hide. But, at the franchise's best, and that seems to have only happened once, you have Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. Not only is this the only accessible film in the franchise, one that doesn't assault you with the male gaze and complete disregard of human life, it's a pretty good party film, in the vein of Predator or Big Trouble in Little China. Call up your friends, order a pizza, stay up late one Halloween evening, and hang out. So let's get into Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. As a child, Tommy Jarvis survived an attack from Jason Voorhees. Now a young adult, he suffered the trauma of seeing Jason in his dreams, hallucinations, and even experiencing manic breakdowns in front of his peers. But that ends today. Jason is dead, and he's headed to his gravesite for closure. But that's not enough. Donned with a shovel and chain cutters, Tommy digs up Jason's grave to make sure he's really dead. And as he looks into the dead carcass of this mass-murdering monster, he breathes a sigh of relief. Because Jason truly is dead. But like all things, his respite isn't long. A storm rolls in, and lightning strikes the dead body of Jason, bringing him back to life. The sole witness of this miraculous event, Tommy runs to warn the police that Jason lives. Friday the 13th Part 6 Jason Lives is rated R. Although there's no details on the MPAA certificate, here's your friendly old Melvin certificate, which includes frightening images, violence and gore, brief sexual content, and language. As far as slashers go, Jason has a real presence in this film as an authoritative threat, and the chase scenes accompanied by music make for tense sequences. There's severed limbs and a lot of blood, and while the film earned its R rating for the violence, it's not that abrasive, and most of the kills are paired with satirical humor. So take that as you will. 
And as mentioned, the R rating is largely due to the violence, as the only sex scene in the film is brief and fully clothed. Before we get into part 6, I also wanted to share real quick that if you've come to enjoy Cinematic Doctrine and would like to support the show, be sure to leave a review on your respective podcast app at the end of this episode. You can also follow the Facebook page for updates on movie news, upcoming episodes, and my own shenanigans. Also, Cinematic Doctrine has a Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can join other patrons and vote on a movie I review once a month, as well as take joy in feeding my coffee addiction. Any amount is appreciated, with multiple tiers to choose from, all of which go toward making Cinematic Doctrine the best podcast it can be. Now, as I mentioned, this is the most accessible film in the Friday the 13th franchise. And not only that, it's a darn good watch. I think a lot of that is thanks to Tom McLaughlin's creative pursuit with this film. He shared a disinterest in glorifying the sadism of the previous Friday the 13th movies, even commenting that he doesn't feel comfortable with the idea that people would willingly and eagerly seek to watch some woman be torn apart on screen. I think anyone in their right mind would agree with that, that there's something really sickening for someone to go out and watch a movie for that purpose. And knowing that McLaughlin had that mindset, I can't help but chuckle in thinking he was hired to write a Friday the 13th film, a franchise that the late-famed film critic Roger Ebert has vehemently hated from start to finish due to its obscene, crass exploitation of violence, sex, and life itself. Perhaps the most difficult approach would be to write something that isn't contributing to the fanbase of young men who would cheer in the theater for more boobs and the young women who would not stop talking in their seats then pause a moment as something scary starts to happen only to cheer when somebody's head was severed or bent out of shape through a window. To write something that respected whatever semblance of a story existed within the franchise, building on top of years of complete nonsense and uninspired plotting. To write something that would still capture the thrill ride treatment that fans had come to appreciate, but without the complete disrespect of human life, the audience, or women. McLaughlin had a tough situation on his hands, and he knew it. He was fearful that his film wouldn't be a financial success due to two things. He suspected fan backlash, because, you know, his film would respect his characters and cast, unlike previous directors and audiences alike. Nor did he suspect critical success due to the franchise stigma, that Friday the 13th was nothing more than exploitative nonsense, which honestly is very accurate. But, under adversity, greatness can be achieved. And it sounds so stupid coming out of my mouth, but I genuinely think that Friday the 13th Part 6 Jason Lives is greatness achieved. It's funny, it's exciting, it's clever, it's engaging, it has a lot to offer as far as thrill rides are concerned, and there's never a lull in its runtime. I mean, the pacing is just great. There's almost a cycle of tension, scare, comedy, tension, scare, comedy. And that's not to say that the film is predictable. More that there's a system to how McLaughlin paces out the events in his film. He simply recognizes that too much of one thing changes the tone far beyond what it should be as a, you know, Friday the 13th film. He wants to satisfy the franchise name while taking it away from its worst qualities, which there are many. So first off, congratulations McLaughlin, you succeeded. And dare I say, you surpassed expectations as far as the franchise is concerned. You showed that with the right tinkering and respect, any bad story can be changed into a good one. Because, for what it's worth, Part 6 is just like the rest of the franchise, except not bad. The setting is the same. It's a campsite near a lake. The characters are basically the same. They're camp counselors who don't really want to be there. The villain is the same. Jason's motivation is to get revenge and kill people, 
And the experience, in some ways, is the same. It's a horror film that embraces its more entertaining side. To really understand that, it takes a bit of breaking down. Especially since I figure a few of my listeners, the Christian ones, have likely avoided this franchise like the plague. And you know what? More power to them. But I dug this gem out of filth and refuse, so please, bear with me, okay? Each film has a camp, each film has counselors, most of the counselors are teenagers. Each film takes advantage of them, and not just them as characters, but them as actors, putting them into precarious situations where all their worth is their bodies, and ultimately their deaths. Now, one might go, there's a commentary there, but in reality, there isn't. Despite the attraction there is to the first Friday the 13th as a quote-unquote classic, it's nothing more than mumblecore, sexploitation, capitalistic trash made by a guy who wanted to pioneer off the success of Halloween. And while this isn't a case of one man's trash is another man's treasure, because the Friday the 13th franchise, for the most part, is trash, this is a case where one man's trash is sculpted into treasure. McLaughlin takes this and repurposes it into a slight satire. And by slight, I mean overt. And by overt, I mean the fire alarm wailing amidst flashing lights and screaming citizens. His satirical approach is so on the nose that even the groundskeeper for the cemetery finds the dug-up grave of Jason Voorhees and looks into the camera saying, Some folks have a strange idea of entertainment. And there's also the added joke that the franchise was losing interest due to Jason's supposed death in the fourth film, and the fact he didn't return for the fifth. So the producers proverbially dug him up just so they could reignite the franchise. Or how McLaughlin had his wife play one of the characters that Jason kills. And when he was asked about it, he said, oh, well, I mean, I had written the character with my wife in mind. So obviously he has a good sense of humor as far as horror films are concerned. It's just so funny, and I'm often oppressed by the idea of a director taunting me for what I enjoy watching, but it never feels like McLaughlin is pointing a finger and laughing at me, because he's having a good time too. And these aren't the only jokes with multiple layers to them. For instance, each Friday the 13th film in production would have a working title inspired by David Bowie. And in one of the cabins, when some characters are about to play cards, a Bowie album is sitting face up on the table. And I haven't even scratched the surface of all the things Part 6 has to offer regarding creative set design, satirical dialogue, and comedic transitions. It's funny to think of how self-aware Part 6 is. This film was making self-referential horror comedy humor a full decade before Scream would end up releasing in theaters, and it's a shame it doesn't get nearly as much recognition for this. Although, it makes sense. It is a Friday the 13th movie. Ah, oh, wow, and I haven't even touched on how much classic Universal monster movies influenced Tom McLaughlin when he was writing Friday the 13th Part 6. From start to finish, there's a very gothic sense to the film, and he's even quoted saying, If you turn the color off, this movie would look great in black and white. So I did. I turned the color off. I turned on Part 6, I turned off all the colors, and I watched the film in black and white. And it was awesome. Simply breathtaking. Smoke would be billowing in the distance. Moonlight would scatter through trees. Jason's ominous hockey mask would be the brightest thing in the frame. I just couldn't believe how good it looked until I just saw it. Also, I just wanted to quickly get into the characters. I really love these characters. Tommy ends up meeting the sheriff's daughter, and pretty soon they're both our heroes going off to try and save Camp Crystal Lake. And it's exciting to have characters you care about go on what essentially amounts to a thrill ride at a theme park. 
There are pretty clear ups and downs, twists and turns, and their performances are simply charismatic. I can't imagine anyone watching this movie and not liking either of these characters. Also, and this is just a neat thing I love about movies, I love when characters have defined outfits, sort of like what you'd see in a cartoon. Tommy is always wearing his blue jacket, and Megan has this bright red jacket she ends up wearing for the latter half of the film. It's such a small choice to give our characters contrasting outfits, and yet it's so aesthetically appealing. Tarantino did this with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, as Rick Dalton is seen in his brown leather jacket, and Cliff Booth wears this bright blue denim jacket the entire film. They look great in stills, let alone the movie. Or how Jason is ridiculously powerful after just being resurrected. He'll sort of quizzically look at the things he does because he doesn't get it. He's still learning all of his faculties again. It's just really interesting. Anyways, just great. I, I love this movie. I love it so much. Couldn't help but plan for this episode months ago, so here we are. If you want to watch something fun, funny, clever, and thrilling, check out Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives. You won't be disappointed. Hopefully. And with that, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Cinematic Doctrine. If you've seen Friday the 13th Part 6, Jason Lives, what did you think of it? Were you laughing from start to finish, or are horror comedies not your thing? If you're listening on CinematicDoctrine.com, let me know in the comments below, or email me at CinematicDoctrine at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, jump on over to Cinematic Doctrine's Facebook page, and be sure to follow for updates on episodes, movie news, and my usual shenanigans. You can also support the show by leaving a review for Cinematic Doctrine on your respective podcast app. And if that's not enough, head on over to Cinematic Doctrine's Patreon. For as little as $3 a month, you can join other patrons and vote on a movie I review once a month, as well as take joy in feeding my coffee addiction. Any amount is appreciated with multiple tiers to choose from. All of it will go toward making Cinematic Doctrine the best podcast that can be. And a special shout out to those who support on Patreon. Thank you so much to my mom. You're the best. And thank you so much for your patronage. If you're on Letterboxd, I have a comprehensive list of every movie I've reviewed on Cinematic Doctrine with direct links to those episodes, so be sure to check that out. All of this will be available in the show notes. Until next time, stay cool. Want some Cinematic Doctrine swag? You're in luck! We've got 3-inch Cinematic Doctrine logo stickers exclusive for Patreon supporters. Perfect for your travel mug or laptop. Head over to patreon.com forward slash cinematic doctrine, link in the show notes, and choose the independent theater tier. Doing so will net you other perks too. But let's be real, the podcast stickers are the coolest perk. So get yourself some podcast stickers by supporting on Patreon.